You are listening to Spun on Me on ESN.FM. Welcome, everybody, to the Spawn of Me podcast. This is episode 63 of our show. How are you all doing, folks in Chicago? I hope you all are doing well. Uh, we have a very special, special show this week uh, because we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to try and, and, and change it up a little bit. We're going to change it up in both format and in hosting duties. So what we're going to do is introduce, introduce the dope folks that we have with us this week. Um, Cicero is out. He has uh, some family business that he is handling. Uh, much love to you, C. We miss you, brother. Uh, mad love to you and your fam. Um, we will see you in a week or so. Um, but I'm joined this week with another cat that you may know, uh, somebody who has been in Bricago. He is part of our Bricago cabinet. Uh, that gentleman is named Sharif Bartholomew Jackson. Uh, Sharif Jackson from SharifJackson.com and Gaming Looks Good. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, but I would like to legally change from Bartholomew, from Bartholomew, Bartholomew, whatever that is, Ah, to a Baratheon. I want to be a Baratheon. Why do you want to be a Baratheon? What is, what? (laughs) I want to be a Baratheon, man. I want to be the very best, the best thing ever was. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, you know, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, I'm growing to like Stannis. Oh you know, my so, god! So I, 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 want, I want to be a Baratheon. I, one day, one day, I want to actually have a, a podcast that talks about pop culture and talks about movies and TV shows and politics and stuff. That's just that. That would be dope. Yes. Yes. Wow. That would be so revolutionary. Dope. I know. Like yes. no one else is doing that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I, I am the minister of no finance. Um, so I just wanted everybody on the show to know that y'all won't be getting paid. Oh shit! Uh, damn. Just wanted to repeat that. Uh, including you, guys. Well, so. last time to go. Basically, let's <laughs> shut it, shut the show down. Thanks for playing. That was that was nice for you to come on through. I know. I just had to remind you that Damn. I am here to spread all the no finance that exists. So. Just like a black man to tell everybody they ain't getting no reparations. <laughs> anyway, I spread the wealth. Spread the spread the wealth into your own pocket. Anyway, nobody wants to pay academics, man. Word, right? word. It's messed up. <laughs> Uh, so we we are joined with, with Sharif Jackson and our other co-host this week, who I am proud, so proud and excited to have on with us, creator of I Need Diverse Games, master of all things Dragon Age, person who is going to bring us all to the promised land of all cons and WizCon and black diversity, Tanya DePass. How are you, Tanya? I'm good, Khalif. How are you doing? How, wait a minute. You're supposed to sound real hype after I gave you all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to sound all professional. I know. What, what is that about? <laughs> that is the wrong show. Yeah, this is, this. Okay. yeah this is not the show for, for professionalism. Where did that come from? All right. Well, then I'm doing really fucking good. How are y'all doing? That's there what we, I'm talking there about. We go. That's what I'm talking about. That's the Tanya I know. Yes, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy that you're all joining us. I, I, I wanted to say before we before we even title this cast, um, this has been a, a cast that I've been trying to kind of get together for a while. Um, the the title of this show is going to be called the Black Academics cast. And there's going to be a, a, a good reason for that, uh, because we're going to talk to our ho- we're going to talk to our guests in, in, in one second and, and kind of bring that together. But what I want to do is kind of give folks the, the reasoning why 
uh, I wanted to kind of do this show and um, kind of give a little bit of background. So I have a friend of mine who is in academia, who is uh, a person who is doing some really cool stuff. His name is Chris Emden, Dr. Chris Emden. Um, he's, he's been doing lots of work as far as connecting hip hop and STEM together. And I figured, you know, there's got to be a way to connect that to games as well. Like gaming is, is a multi-billion dollar kind of industry. We have all kind of grown up in the technological age where gaming has been something that we've been doing most of our lives in different forms of fashion. And I said, who are the dope people who I know who could possibly talk to this and can, can shed some light on if this is one, a, a viable, reasonable thing to be discussing. And two, are they actually using this in their, in their, in their academic and and, and lives in academia? So, I want to introduce to, to, to all of you in Bricago, uh we have our returning returning guest. Uh, she rocked with us uh, in one of our earliest episodes, actually. It was one that I was sad that I missed out on because I was not here that week. Uh, but I want to intro, intro you all again to, and I think I lost my piece of, my piece of thing right there because I want to make sure I get everything right. It is... Uh, Trey Andrea Russworth, we want to thank you for being on the show of University of U- UMass Amherst. Uh, we wanted to say what's up to you. How you doing, Trey? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Did Greg. I get it right? Did I get it um, right? Did yeah. I mess it up? Uh, Trey Andrea Russworth, you said that right. And UMass, um, University of Massachusetts at Amherst, UMass Amherst. That is where I am currently gainfully employed. Word, okay. word, word. And, I- and, and, and what's... What's like your official title there? I am assistant professor of English, and this is my tenure year starting now. So hopefully soon soon to be not no longer assistant professor, but you know, gotta put that out there. Super dope. Super dope. Thank you. And I that's right. the reason because I want to make sure that I got all the official things in. Thank you, Reed, for picking that up. Thank you, sir. I can't wait for the ego to hit in, like the unfireable <laughs> Trey. I want well, run wild. I can't I can't wait for Trey to just start throwing chairs at students. <laughs> ah! chairs. Oh, like hey, don't Bob laugh. Knight. I've seen that. Yeah, I want you to Bob pull like Knight, some Bob Knight yeah. movements. That'd uh, be dope. Hasn't happened in all these years. You're well conditioned by this point, you know, not to do anything that's gonna get you arrested <laughs> for the most part. Like, Nice. Yeah, that's a that's a yes. low key life goal right there. That's nice. a low key yes. life goal. So so like I'd like to read a little bit about Treya since I brought up her wonderful profile page um, because I actually didn't know that uh, she went to my alma mater. I was not aware of this. Um, so uh, Treya got her AB from Brown University in 1998. Represent. I'm a 2002 graduate. Awesome. Um, and her uh, AM from the University of Chicago 2002 and. PhD from University of Chicago, 2008. So we are very happy to have you. Very happy. Thank you. Word. Yes, I'm very happy to be here. Word, yeah. word, word. Um, Glad to be back in Chicago. But I haven't seen Cicero and Khalif together at the same time in the same space. I know. I was like, is this like a Michael Jackson kind of? <laughs> like, why, why, why can't I be on the show with both of y'all? I have to come back. I'm already putting it out there because I'm greedy that I got to come back with the both of you at the same time. I had the tag team experience. I need both Cicero and Khalif on the show at the same time. We're going to try to make that happen. We're going to try to make it work because it, it, it is always weird that that is a thing that always happens. I don't <laughs> I don't know why, but it totally does. So I know you are different people because I've seen you, you know, individually one on one. I just not the full experience together. That's what I'm lacking. <laughs> we're going to we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it work. It's, it's, it's going to come together at some point and then we will all form 
uh, I don't even know, Negro Voltron and do some, (laughs) and do some dope stuff. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to be what actually happens. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Word, word. We can't take you anywhere. I didn't do it. I didn't do nothing. I didn't do nothing. Everybody's going to be like the Black Ranger, right? (laughs) (laughs) Black Ranger. What? Who? Basically, basically. Uh, and I'm we are. Find that gift. <laughs> oh no, I don't even want to know. Uh, so, <laughs> so we are also we are also uh, wonderfully uh, joined this this show by a newcomer to Bricago, uh someone who I've been trying to get on the show for a minute, but she's been ducking me. Oh, oh no, I'm just playing. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. There's been no duckage. No, no, no ducking at all. Um, we're happy to to bring on to the show. Uh, oh my god, I'm, I'm I'm botching everything today because I'm nervous. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't mess up my name now, Keyshawna. I know I'm black. I'm, I'm black. And, no, it's not even it's not even names. I just want to make sure I get everyone's like titles correct because that's 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 like super important to me as well. Absolutely. Yes. I too am assistant professor. I'm at Eastern Kentucky University. Yes, and it's Keyshawna Lee Gray. Kishana Leah Gray. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> Almost. But we've had, this is not, this is might be my first interaction here with, with the podcast, but we were, we gamed together when you did your, um, this follow me event for, um, yes. Eric Warren. Yes. Um, we were, that's where we met. You know, I saw that I joined, you know, I, I that's, I think that that was our first interaction. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was really it was really fun because <laughs> Kishana just came out of nowhere and was like, yo, what y'all doing? <laughs> What's up? Yo, what y'all doing? And I was like, we doing yeah. this thing. We trying to make, we trying to show that black people shouldn't be getting killed by the police. It's beautiful. I it was, love it. And thank you. You know it's what? Great. Thank you. Thank it you both. Because I haven't had a real chance to talk to you both since, since that, yeah. uh, since that event, since the small for, small for good event happened. So thank you guys for, 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 for all being there with us. And thank you for all rocking with us and sharing, sharing in that. So I really, really do appreciate that. We in Chicago really do appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having yeah. us. Yeah. It was great. It was great. So the same way that I read uh, Treya stuff, I read a little bit about uh, Dr. Gray. Uh, so uh, first of all, she has a joint appointment in the Women and Gender Studies program and affiliate fac- affiliate faculty in the Afri- African slash African American Studies program. Also the director and founder of the Critical Gaming Lab at Eastern Kentucky University. And she c- completed her PhD in the School of Social Transformation at Arizona State University in May 2011 with a concentration in media technology and culture so thank you so much for being here word 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 word. yeah i i've actually got kashana's um article in a tab that i keep open all the time about the intersections of women of color and the xbox live community oh yeah that's a good one and i'm just like this is my life when i try to play multiplayer games (laughs) I think honestly that was that was one of the first uh pieces of your work that I became familiar with and I was like oh we definitely have to get Kishana on the show cuz yeah. this is yeah. this is crazy and dope um I kind of want to go into some of your backgrounds and why you went into academia and why you decided to become teachers of the people you guys really do you you two actually really do believe that the children are the future <laughs> 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 because you're doing you're doing this as a profession um 
Trey, would you like to go into to, to some of that background and kind of and kind of give the folks uh, again who who aren't familiar with you and your work uh, why mm-hmm. why you do what you do? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, as I mentioned, I'm in the English department, and my PhD is in English, and my um, you know I. I've always been in. I think my, my undergraduate degree, my BA is or AB is in is in uh, English as well as my um, PhD. But I always did media studies, so I always had to sort of preface it with that that um, when I got my PhD at Chicago, uh, cinema studies and English were combined. Mm-hmm. So I was always sort of doing television, film, um, and then new media as a part of my research, and so um, that kind of became my path as a professor, also. I uh, started out um, my my book, my monograph, which is called Blackness is Burning, is um, coming out next year. And nice. so that's on the civil rights era and popular culture. So traditional media, television, um, film, et cetera. And this question of blackness and recognition is kind of like the theory that um, kind of grounds that. And then um, I have an edited collection on games, on video games called Identity Matters, which is also coming out next year. <laughs> um, and um, so that kind of updates my, you know, new media interest. And then another edited collection on Tyler Perry, spring of 2016. As I'm in a book field, I just was like, I guess I'll write books. I'll do books. <laughs> and unfortunately, though, they're, they're, you know, they're slower to come out than other forms of publication. So they'll be here. And that's when you can have me back, Khalif, with you and Cicero together. <laughs> when the books are out next year, I have all three of them. Oh, trust wow. me. Um, oh, trust me. That's in the works. We, we, already, we already got that book for when that, for yeah. when that happens. Plug in already. And actually, in Identity Matters, we talk about in my art, in my chapter in the book, um, I mentioned your excellent Dave Fenoy interview that happened on this very podcast. And then in the introduction, Spawn for Good. I talk about that also to the book. So Spawn on Me is all over the publication. Oh my God. Really? That's great. Was a pleasure to be able to kind of see that tie in and fit. Um, so yeah, like I said, you know, um, I always sort of came from the sort of literary cultural studies background, but with a lot of media studies in there, Hi- I'm a highly discipline, uh, interdisciplinary scholar. Um, and now mostly at UMass, I just, I teach video games. I teach new media classes, um, classes on like race, gender, um, and sexuality in game studies. Uh, I teach a class on dystopian games. And so I've been teaching that for a couple of years and, um, yeah, that's sort of been my path, and um, I somewhere along the line realized, hey, all my hobbies can be my career, and if I sort of maneuver it properly, that's that's what I could do. I can sort of study the things that are intellectually interesting to me, and I also derive, you know, a lot of pleasure from. So games kind of fit into that pretty well. As uh, I grew up as a gamer, um, yeah. So that's kind of my academic lineage or uh, trajectory and so so basically if you were to have a big dragon age scroll you would just have all that on that scroll <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i was like started here started reading books now i'm playing games what what's 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 left you know that's, that's uh, but amazing. all of it i mean one of the things that i argue is that it's all a text you know we were navigating different types of texts and right. being in, a, in 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 an english department teaching students how to read those different types of cultural texts is what i specialize in uh, whether it's a novel or a film or a television show or a video game reading them um, in ways that are specific to that medium and those industries but also being able to see the through lines and the connections and that's actually where i wanted to mention right at the top of the show 
today's meme, the Sydney the Sydney Portier meme that I that everybody was like, what is that? But on <laughs> Twitter, uh, I think it was Tanya that circulated. It's a it's a it's a meme that says writing about race and video games, and yeah. it has a picture. It's a classic Sydney Portier film. It's actually called Pressure Point, um, 1962 film, which most people don't ever. They don't associate. It's not a popular Sydney Portier film, but it has this uh, white character in there, and in, in the, on the the subtitle says, "What have you got against us whites?" And then Sydney Portier has this expression like, "Come on, Broadway." <laughs> so, someone somewhere, maybe it started with Minority Retort, um, you know, circulated this as this is what it's like writing about race in video games, and I was like, Sydney Portier, because my book Black This Is Burning starts out with Sydney Portier's career. And this film, in fact, which is all about the question of, like, recognition and psychoanalysis. And I'm like, well, look at people bringing that to video game. Like, how how did this show up, this really obscure film? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because, again, Pressure Point is not Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Right. It's not the Defiant Ones. It's not most of the films that people know about Sidney Portier. It was very low-key. He plays a psychoanalyst there. But it's all about, like, how we psychoanalyze um, and treat the race the race problem, and so that character in the film, the white character, is actually totally psychotic, and and you know Sidney Poitier sort of treats his racism in the film as the analyst. That's like his job, mm-hmm. and so um, you know most people don't know that film, but I'm like it's all connected, right? So learning how to read these different texts across history, you actually see the repetitions, and you see what does Sidney Poitier have to do with video games? You know that's the kind of question that. Um, <sighs> I think you know I'm I'm able well well able to answer and kind of teach in my classes. How can we make that? Those that is so cool. Even that question, it just invites like just it just invites like wow. I want to know what she has to say about that. Like that's a that's yeah. a really cool tagline almost. And what's funny is you know we're a bunch of academics because I saw Kashana like writing notes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we're a bunch of school folks. Uh huh. I was at the gym and I was like, I gotta, I gotta tweet, I gotta say something about this is pressure point. And then like Twitter crashed on my phone and wouldn't work the rest of the day. And I was like, man, I'm gonna save it for the podcast. So I've been waiting all day to just share that one Thank you. nugget of yes. that meme about video games and race and how it relates to Sydney Portier. That's awesome. That's ridiculously dope. Ridiculously dope. Um, so we're going to, you know, we're going to get back to those, that kind of transitioning and cross-sectionality of all the media that we go through and kind of all, all digest and ingest in those same ways. Uh, but I want to give uh, Kishana the, the, the stage for a second and, and kind of go into, you know, why you became an, uh, an academic and, and why you teach what you teach and, and, and how, how do you teach that to, to your students? Yeah, absolutely. Well, all this happened by accident. You know, none of, I didn't plan any of this, you know, even going back to like undergrad and grad school, I never planned. I like, I like never had like a vision of like, I want to be a professor, you know, I want to, I want to study video games. My project was actually, I was going to do um, something on Hurricane Katrina. At the time I was in grad school, that was right when Hurricane Katrina had happened. So I was going to do like a media analysis of like, deserving victims and undeserving victims that's what i was gonna do but i got so like emotionally drained you know i even went down you know it's like no it was just emotionally draining and i was like i want to do something fun because you know somebody told me they said whatever you do for your dissertation expect to do that for the next Woo. 10 years wow yeah like for real oh, <laughs> So I wanted to make sure that I did something that was still meaningful, you know, still 
pertinent to, you know, the populations and communities that, you know, I wanted to work with, marginalized folks, um, but still something that would be fun, something that was engaging. So I, it kind of started off as like a class project. Um, it was a, a new media class. Um, I can't really, uh, media and culture kind of class. And I did a project on my own experiences playing Gears of War 1, the first Gears of War. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wrote about that. I kind of wrote it up. And whenever I went to do the literature review for that project, I was like, surely there's tons of stuff written about Xbox Live already. But it wasn't. There, I couldn't find a thing. I couldn't find anything. You know, there were other things that focused on, you know, like, you know, compute, you know, other MOOCs, moods, muds, and all that stuff. Um, and, but the focus was just on gender. I couldn't find anything that was really, like, written, like, on, on, um, on race. So I guess that was my contribution. I said, you know what? I can do that. So that class project, you know, just turned into my dissertation. And, you know, my focus really was on anything I do. I make sure I privilege the most marginalized folks, you know. So that's why I focus on women of color. Um, so that's how, you know, the Intersecting Oppressions article, you know, like came about um, that Tanya was um, discussing, like, earlier. Um, but, again, like I said, all this has happened. Everything that has happened has happened by, like, accident. Even with the lab that I have, I had a job. I was getting ready to leave EKU. And they said, no, don't leave. We want you to stay. What can we do to make you stay? So they presented some things. They said, uh, do you want a game lab? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I was like, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea how to run a lab. I had no idea. So I'm Googling, looking up all kind of stuff. How do I run a game lab? You know, I'm looking up stuff, trying to figure out what to do. So it's been fun, though. You know, I'm still figuring it out. Um, but I really, I just appreciate that, you know, they valued me enough to take care of me because it's, um, I'm not in a department that, um, I'm in a, a criminal justice department, essentially. Huh. And so every, yeah, so it's a weird thing. I, I don't fit. It's academically isolating because what I do is different from what everybody else does, but it is kind of lended itself well. Um, my work has lended itself well to really relate to our criminal justice students, especially with recent events that have happened. Mm-hmm. So I, I use like like games like Grand Theft Auto to kind of help them um, like work through like police interactions with like the public. You know, like what do you do when like the police approach? You know, things like that. So I've tried to figure out a way to like uh, make myself like fit here. But they said it wasn't necessary. They said I could just teach whatever I want, um, research whatever I want. And that's what I do. Um, and so, you know, like, like Trey Andrea, you know, I teach video games classes. I teach video games and culture, video games and justice. And um, it's cool. So that's how I ended up here. Dope, dope, dope. Thank you. And again, thank wow. you for, for, for being on with us. See, see, this is so dope. This is so yeah. dope. <laughs> it's, it, it, no, but am, am I the only one that's amazed that of all the people that complain about Xbox Live and stuff that nobody until Kishana came around wrote it up? Like, that's right. just yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. That was that that was the craziest thing to me because I, I was like, surely. Yeah, there you go. Hey, oh my god! Support. Aww. I got your book right here. I'm showing that's, it off. That's right. I love okay, it. Okay, you got to bring that with you to WizCon. I'm, <laughs> that is, I will. So that you can happened. sign it. <laughs> right? Absolutely. <laughs> what actually happened? And Shreve, I'm glad you brought that up. What actually happened is that back in the day, the focus was on consoles. You know, with the Atari, Nintendo. We went away from that when the focus became computer gaming. So the research had just been like kind of focused on computer gaming, and we never looked back at consoles whenever they started gaining popularity once again. You know, um, with the with PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, you know, Xbox taking over. So nobody ever revisited that. 
And then they kind of just, especially when they started, like, you know, expanding the multiplayer environments in a lot of these spaces, that was recent. So nobody had just, nobody had caught up to that because computer gaming was, like, dominating the conversation and still is. Console gaming is, like, kind of like a second-class citizen mm-hmm. um, within, you know, I don't want to go ahead. I know you have, like, a question later about about how se- how serious game studies is taken, but console gaming is like a second-class citizenship. You know, the premier gamers are the computer gamers still. Right. Um, and I think the research also reflects that. People who, you know, do research in computers, they are, you know, game developers, you know, things like that. They are the privileged ones. They are the, you know, elite ones. So. Yeah, I mean, okay, I, I, I need to jump in and yeah, have please. a moment about like PC gaming because I think we can all agree that the term PC ma- PC Master Race needs to go. I'm, I'm, I, I can, I can <laughs> agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, because you know, like I'm, I'm for a long time I was more of a PC gamer, but I never heard that phrase or used that phrase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then once I got more into console gaming, I was just like. Where is this elitist bullshit coming from? Right. Because, like, I had kind of experiences you were talking about with with Xbox Live more on the MMO side. Yeah. Um, Because I played MMOs like City of Heroes, never really got into WoW or anything. But, um, you know, it just seems really weird that people were so fixated on PC. Yeah. so I just I just thought it was really interesting because that that phrase itself just like sets me on edge mm-hmm. as a gamer, right? And, uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there there are my bad. I'm sorry. There are class dimensions okay. associated with that as well. So if oh you are God. a PC or a computer gamer, you have to have the money to constantly be upgrading video yeah. cards, RAM, things like that. Whereas like when you buy the console, up until recently, it was just that you could just buy the game and it was just that. You know, it wasn't really this downloadable content and keep all, all these add-ons. Yeah. That's a new thing. You know, so it's really like this class. And also a lot of like black and Latino folks are in to more so into consoles, you know, because of afforda- affordability um, and things like that. So there are, you know, some class, you know, implications associated with that as well. So maybe that's where some of the elitism came in. At, and you know, gen- Wow. Yeah, no, and gender is, you know, I'm just piling on a little bit there, too, and gender as well, because the stereotype of the PC gamer is much more consistent with the the mass-produced stereotype of, like, a white male sort of techy, geeky, nerdy type of gamer. Right. And so that sort of, you know, those stereotypes obscure the reality, the rea- various realities of who plays, you know, games on consoles or PCs, but definitely that techy, geeky, nerdy um, kind of gamer is all pe- people often think of that as like a PC gamer with the headset yep. and you know typing away and do the hot keys and everything. Um, but we know better. Kind, we know kind of like me, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we know better about who those gamers are, though, and what the more complex demographics look like. I mean, and it, I guess I guess it kind of even pushes itself out even even further into you know the stereotypes of what those gamers look like. And compounded with the idea that yeah. black and brown people, male and female, aren't smart enough to get it. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and that foundational idea that, you know, those those sections of people are, are, are just not able to be tech savvy, which is really interesting. <laughs> really interesting that that was the thing that, that came up when most of the consoles we wouldn't even have if it wasn't for for a black for, for a black man. So it's like, you know some of those things are in that in that conversation as well it's really interesting to see that those be pushed out and sadly i know i'm not sure if you all know anna everett's work yeah but she um 
brought up the point, one of the first ones to remind people that we yes. only have a gaming industry because it was for those black and Latino inner city kids who were taking those quarters to those arcades, yeah. you know, spending yeah. the money that they like the gaming industry was was dead. It was done. It was the yeah. arcades that saved them. And it was the inner city arcades that propelled the gaming industry back to the back to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. I remember when I went to, um, you know, I sort of went to elementary school in a, you know, a urban poor area, and in high school in like a rich white area. And I remember at high school, people were amazed when I would tell them that, you know, in the hood, every pizza spot, every bodega, everybody had had at least one machine in there, you know. Oh yeah. And and like all the malls, you know, had arcades in them. So like. You know, it was kind of different where, like, you know, I found that in the non-urban areas, they had to travel a little farther for those arcade game experiences where I could go right down the block. Right. I I could pick up a beef patty and get some rounds <laughs> of uh, Street Fighter 2 in, you know? It, right. it, it, yeah. It, yeah. Also, so you're the one who left all the damn controllers and buttons greasy. <laughs> oh, yeah. They was gre- hey, that, 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 that was my competitive advantage, man. That was your ass. Oh. <laughs> okay, good. Good to know. Everybody who was in in, in, in all the parts of New York, and everybody Philly. in Patterson, everybody in Patterson, Patterson, New Jersey. We had greasy, yeah. greasy finger reef just fucking up all the con- <laughs> content. Right, taking you out. So, so, so I kind of want to, I, I kind of want to bounce back into the part of the discussion where, you know, it, it was interesting for for you to say, uh, Kishana, that. You know, you went to 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 teach at the college that you're at and they were like, hey, you can teach, you know, what you want. These are the things that you're open to being able to do that. Um, I'd love to hear uh, both of your thoughts about, you know, how how you've been able to to kind of bridge that gap within the disciplines that you teach. And you spoke about a little bit in the beginning, uh, Trey, about uh, how, how you're how you're kind of weaving all these things, all these different mediums and all these different kinds of uh, discussions together. Is there something that when you're when you're doing that and you're having that conversation through your through your classes, through your tests, through your syllabuses, your syllabi, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that, that you that you're that you're thinking about that in, in in those terms? Can you can you kind of go into a little bit of that discussion? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think really I'm a media studies scholar, and with the you know firm background in literary studies and like traditional, you know, take, took my Shakespeare seminars. Every now and then I teach literature classes. And so really I'm a media studies scholar in an English department. And I think that really, you know, really matters because for one, in this moment where the STEM fields are really kind of at the forefront and the popular, you know, imagination and like the humanities is always in a state of crisis, it seems. And I I saw this on um Oh, one of the one of the bloggers that I follow on Twitter, and I can't remember her name. I think it's Mickey. Um, I, don't have to, I don't want to mess up her name, but I'll, but if it comes to me during this this uh, conversation, I'll, I'll 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 tell you the name. But pointed out that like, why is it that humanities is so suddenly dead when all the people of color arrive? Like, right. how are you going to declare <laughs> right, certain right. disciplines, you know, in crisis, perpetual crisis? Now that certain populations of people are doing these jobs, yeah, that's sort of one kind of interesting thing. Um, but no doubt, it is still true across the board. Um, 
the humanities is definitely in a big period of transition, I think. The various humanities disciplines are. So to be a media studies scholar, where at other universities I might not be in the humanities, I might not be in the English department, mm. for example. I could be in a film studies department, and that could be communication. You know, that could be in, like, the social sciences or something like that. Um, to be where I am, who I am, where I am, um, definitely uh, is a little bit of a, an unnatural fit. But it's also a very kind of, I don't know, um, revolutionary or, tra- you know, transformative kind of placement because it's something that um, it speaks to the student body, you know, mm. to sort of put it plainly, uh, to be in a literary study, a literature department and to teach um, games, you know, films, new media memes. I have like several units on memes in my um, race, gender, and new media class, uh, which my students interviewed you guys, Kai and, uh, you know, Cicero for that that project. And I was very grateful that you guys were able to do that. And Tanya, too. I could not forget all three of you guys um, really kind of helped out so much with that class. Um, so to teach those kind of classes in an English department, I think, really stands out. And some good, some good ways, and then some sort of challenge, more challenging ways. Because on the one hand, because it's popular with the students, everybody is like, "Well, you're you're the new Obama. You can save, you know, this <laughs> mission." Um, and then on the other hand, whenever you do things that are popular, or one of the things I've learned in studying popular culture, you know, and it doesn't really matter the medium, whether you're talking about film or television or games. Um, people think that you don't need expertise for that, right? Huh. That it's just kind of common sense. So you might get that kind of pushback from the students, or you might get get that kind of pushback from um, the old guard, mm-hmm. or you know, the gatekeepers, the people that you know turn your hair white. Like I don't actually have any hair because it's summer right now. I'm bald, but if I <laughs> did have my hair on my head, you would see all these you know distinguished distinguished flecks of gray that have popped up in my uh, <laughs> tenure here because. You know, you're navigating a lot of different spaces that come inherently challenging for people of color. So to add to that what you teach and what you study, um, you know, like I said, at times it can be beneficial. It can be helpful. It can be, wow, you know, this is something that is innovative. You get the, you know, these kind of buzzwords. This is innovative. This is, you know, forward thinking. This is progressive to have this kind of mix of things in our disciplinary spaces. Um, and then you can also sort of be a subject of, you know, um, a, a just critique or attack you know you're kind of navigating a number of different things uh so yeah i think that overall though uh, my experience has been really positive though my particular department and my particular set of students it all sort of plays out well enough right where uh the department has been really supportive whatever I come up with, you know, hey, I want to teach a class on dystopian games, or I want to teach a class just on identity and games, or I want to do a class on new media in general, you know, my department is, like, always on board with that, because, again, it really does cater to a student body that is hungry for those types of classes, Um, and I get students from all over the university in those classes, not just our students in the English department, but I'll get students from computer science, and to have computer science students and English department students, you know, humanities students in the same space Mm -hmm. talking to each other, I think is really where I see things ahead. I really see those overlaps um, and those collaborations being important and for both sets of um, both parts of that campus learning how to talk to each other um, and communicate and collaborate and build with each other. I really see that as something that, um, you know, needs to happen more often. 
And so it's it's nice to kind of be a facilitator of that type of dialogue. I feel that that's, sorry, I know you had a question. I wanted to follow up with what she had just said. I feel that that should be like the direction that universities are going now. Like we've been stuck in these silos that we call disciplines for so yeah. long. And then there's no, you know, because as you said, I, I, you know, I'm interdisciplinary, you know, like you, where you have these conversations with different kinds of people. And I think, you know, that's the nature of my classes, too, because in my class, I have all these students from these different areas. So you can imagine when, like, criminal justice students who are all white and male. And, yeah. like, the oh, African- no, that's so scary. Right. And the African-African-American studies students who are mostly black students, you know, they come into these spaces. And then the women and gender studies and then, you know, some of the computer science folks. So you have this, this, um, these hybrid classes, you know, with all these folks coming from all these places. I think it's beautiful because it really reflects what I think we should be doing in our classes anyway. We all need to be talking to each other. So that's a that's a great point. That's a great point. That's that's awesome. That's ridiculously awesome. I think the question I was gonna since you just since you just brought that up as far as the mixing the mixing of all these different folks in all these different kinds of disciplines and kind of getting together, but all under the umbrella of of the studies that you that you're doing. I noticed I went to um, I had a chance to speak at a at a at a um, a thing in Eugene about gaming diversity, Eugene, Oregon. And the thing that took me aback was that it was this room of nothing but but young white young white kids who were like, "Hey, I want to know about diversity." Hey, Mr. Black person, can you tell me <laughs> how bad I've been and I don't know anything about diversity? It's it's a, it's a thing that takes you back a little bit. So mm-hmm. I guess the question I want to ask both of you is, you know, that that racial dynamic in which you have folks who are coming to you as students who want to be taught about the privileges that they have. Have you found that they've been uh, accepting of the, of the teachings in those ways? Do you feel like they've been able to absorb the the information in a way that they can kind of step out of themselves for a minute and and, and kind of kind of wrap themselves in that idea and then be able to uh, uh, kind of kind of give some of that information back to you as 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 their teachers? Have you found that that's been difficult? Have you found that there's been a lot of obstacles or pushback from any of that? Uh, I guess Kia, Kia, I'll start start off with you. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because, like, um, my my classes are cool in one vein, and then they're awful in another vein for students. Mm-hmm. So the draw the draw for the students is the fact that it's video game, and they know yeah. that we'll yeah. be in the lab playing video games. Yep. What they dread is the topics that we have to discuss. Yes. <laughs> where, you know, we're, right. So we're talking about race, gender, sexuality, class. You know, we're talking about like all these things. Um, so I think um, it's it, it's an interesting intersection, um, but I, but I can draw them using the video games, and then we can have these conversations around these tough topics using right. the video games. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot, especially for my this is really tough for my criminal justice students. So as opposed to them talking about their own selves, their own implicit biases, how that influences you know the perceptions of the other, we can just say, well, let's just talk about these characters in this you know, computer-based simulation. Let's just talk about this video video game. Let's just talk about this. So they're able to have those conversations using the games as opposed to saying, I feel that black folks are thugs and I feel that, this, you know, so, yeah. so I, I think I think video games really presents any kind of media. You know, just as Straight Journal, you know, was saying, you can use films and movies, documentaries. You can use, you know, all kinds of media, um, like, to do that. I feel that video games... 
take it a step further than other media and you know you know correct me if i'm if i'm wrong you know because i'm not technically a media scholar but you know you're, you're more so than i am but i feel that video games really present this interesting interesting reality for students because they control they directly control the narrative mm-hmm. like i feel that there's something there like what the i guess the telepresence where they feel like they are that person on that screen whereas mm-hmm. like a movie they're a passive observer of that yep. you know the narrative is already created for that you know it's linear you know it's you can't deviate whereas in a lot of games yeah. you can control the narrative you control it so i feel like that kind of I feel like you can do a lot more with the video game as than, than what you can with like like a movie. So you can go a step further in conversations because they were a part of that narrative. They created that. They they created that that interaction with that CJ from San Andreas or whatever. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Um, um, so I, mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a question. I'm, I'm still thinking yeah. through these things. You know? Sure. Sure. Um. um yeah. yeah. That's that. No, I mean, that that's absolutely true. Everything that um, Kishona was saying about, um, you know, the video games are kind of the carrot and then the critical lenses are kind of, you know, students receive that as, in, in, in many cases as the stick. Like, OK, I have to, you know, put up with this conversation right. in order to take a class about video games. Right. And and, um, and if that's what gets them in the door, I'm usually OK with that. You know, um, if we're because like I said, you know, I, I get students who are coming from different disciplines a lot of times and they don't have these conversations. They don't have to have these conversations. So, you know, the way I'm able to sort of introduce these different sort of theoretical, you know, premises like let's t- read you know Fanon and let's talk about Freud and then let's talk about video games is like and let's talk about race gender and sexuality it's just you know something that they don't um they, they don't have the other opportunities to do so I do think that many students um are not excited about that I'm, I'm in a you know a university that's like 90 percent I don't know what the statistics are, um, but not very diverse, like maybe 90% um, white. And uh, <laughs> in the beginning, my classes reflected that. But now, you know what? The students of color find me. They like right. show up. And so my classes have a much more of a racial mix, I think. My video games and new media classes have much more of a racial mix than my other classes do, where I am the only black person in the room if I'm teaching a, you know, a literature class, um, for sure, hands down. Right, <laughs> I'm the only right. black person that they saw that week perhaps I, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating but not really so <laughs> so they so you know they they don't really want to have these conversations in their social circles um, but they have them in the classroom and I think that you know that definitely does good work as a person of color as a woman of color you know and as a queer woman of color in that space I'm navigating all kinds of stuff um, crazy stuff, fantasies, projections, fears, you know, hey, all kinds of the microaggressions, macroaggressions, all the aggressions um, as I do that kind of work. And I think, you know, that that would happen anyway, even if, if, if I wasn't talking about race. But I think it's sort of amplified at times because I am. Um, but over time, I think a lot some of that is evened out. I would say in the beginning of my career, um, you know, it, it it very much was a factor. Like I would feel you know that resistance and that dread a lot more but by now I kind of have a reputation students kind of know what they're getting if they don't want to talk about these things if they don't want to think about these things then they don't come to my class to play and talk about video games right so (laughs) they kind of know what they're getting so I don't have as many overt things to navigate every now and then I'll you know get students who are wilding out and I have to kind of you know (laughs) 
check the situation on one on one in my own way, you right. know, correct for that. Mm-hmm. But now it's evening out. But I would say that, you know, especially early on as an untenured person, you know, a person of color, you're you're you got a lot to do and a lot to bear, I think, and a lot to navigate anyway. Um, but as time goes on. It gets a lot easier to, to deal with. It, it doesn't co- completely go away. But, you know, we're unique subjects. We're you very unique people in these spaces uh, right, for the right. most part. And, you know, it, it, people are not comfortable in, in, by default with seeing someone like me in the position of authority at the front, you know, the front of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And they're like surprised sometimes that I have a PhD, you know, from the University I of Chicago or that I went to the schools I went to, I went to Brown. They're, they're like, oh, you're not a grad student, you know? And I'm like, damn, no, I'm not a grad student. I got the student loans to prove it, man. <laughs> I'm not a grad student anymore. But um, students, you know, sort of take that for granted and are always kind of questioning and challenging, even low key, on the low key way, um, who you are in that space. So you got a lot of things to kind of deal with. Um, but I would say, yeah, you know, in a good day, video games make it all better. Being able to talk about something that students are kind of innately excited about. Right. Um, you know, makes it makes it yeah. a, a, a more workable project in some ways for me. Yeah, I think two great points that uh, both you guys brought up in this. First is the fact that you're that I believe it was you that uh, said this trade that your gaming classes tend to be more diverse than your other um, like media classes, which I think, you know, is like something we all know. But you still have this stereotype that we talked about, about what a gamer is Mm -hmm. and like uh, what like all the marketing towards like specific sets are. And Mm -hmm. And I bet that marketing and those stereotypes don't match the diversity that you see in your classes and that I see in general. So like, I think that like, that's a great way just to reemphasize that point that gaming is diverse Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and that gaming fans are diverse, you know, that um, all kinds of people are interested in this medium. And it seems like a lot of other people need to catch up to that fact. Um, The other thing I thought was like very interesting and both of you mentioned this was that sort of the carrot is the games and then and then the uh, the uh, stick can be kind of dealing with some of the issues that you guys have to talk about. Um, I'm really curious as to um, if you get either feedback maybe after the class or like you run into students that have taken your uh, classes, you know, do they tend to like to like say like wow like I really benefited from the stuff that I didn't think that I was gonna like about it you know or or like does it tend to be kind of like uh, like yeah. a mix of like views or I'm really curious to like hear about that mm-hmm. because you know I yeah. think that most people do just want to play games and not think about that stuff so right I think uh, go ahead Trea go ahead. Um, well, actually, you know, what I was going to say to that is just, it's a really, it's it's a really short answer and it's yes. You know, um, by and large students say, you know, wow, I really didn't think first they'll say, I didn't think this class was going to be this way. You know, I thought, (laughs) I I didn't know that we were going to have this basically intellectually rigorous project out around this. I thought we would go in this direction. We would talk about basically how fun and important games are, but they're, they they usually say, but I didn't know we were going to do this kind of heavy lifting, and I was going to think about my you know my relationship to these different types of texts over time. I was you know 
there there are definitely things that they say that they learn and that they appreciate uh, for the most part. Whereas, again, before I was teaching games, when I was mostly doing um, literature and other forms of popular culture, whenever race came up, on no never failed on the evaluation students would say this class was supposed to be about american literature but it was all about race right and then <laughs> like she always wanted to talk about race all the time and they would complain but it ironically paradoxically surprisingly students don't say that about the games and we end up talking about the same set of things right like i'm, I'm pretty consistent across media text about what i'm interested in and the kinds of questions i want to ask but when we're talking about the games maybe it's i don't know i mean this goes against the grain of what we've seen with gamergate and of what the popular discourses about games are right people mm. expect if you're going to talk about race and identity like that meme you know oh why you hate white people so much right like that's the popular response but in the classroom i'm not finding that to be the case i think because who knows why you know maybe it's because they're doing something that they enjoy they're you've you've given them something so they want to give a little room to kind of entertain these questions that they otherwise will want to shoot down and be really reactionary around right. um but if I was doing the same syllabus, but instead of games had novels or instead of games had classic films on the syllabus, students are like, oh, my gosh, we just talked about race for 15 weeks. And they are <laughs> angry. They are angry. And they just rant on the evaluations. Right. But somehow when I turn, shifted to doing more new media, um, they're, they're, they're more open to that, surprisingly. And again, it's not what you see happening in the popular press or in the popular conversations about games, but at least within the classroom, um, there's more, um, we get there a lot faster and there's less friction around that for the most part. That's so interesting. That's such an interesting dynamic too, because it's like I, I'm expecting, you know, since 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 you're all in the liberal media and you, since you're in the liberal academia world, yeah. that, that that conservatives hate and they're just like, oh, why, yeah. why are you trying to indoctrinate my child with this right? race discussion? Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm sure I'm sure that that's a part of that conversation as well that you'll see. Oh yeah, and students are ideologically really conservative by by and by. Um, they you know they they really are socially conservative. At the, you know, at the very least. Um, so they reflect a lot of their parents, you know, concerns about the, the liberal, the liberal professors yeah, oh my who are, goodness. you know, ruining them, ruining education. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Did did, did uh, you have a, a similar experience, Kishana, with the evals and sort of like the, you know, like the feedback that you get after? Absolutely. I realized early on, I think I wasn't as inclusive of media. When I first got here, I didn't have like the lab. So video games was just a discussion as we, we would talk about video games as we would talk about movies and music and different kind of like media. So I, I made sure to incorporate more media because it seemed to soften the blow somehow, you yes. know, for a lot of yes. these students. And I know like in a lot of my early evaluations, you know, one student said, you know, I feel like it's Black History Day every day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. But interestingly, I wanted to um, share, like, it's graduation time, you know. At our yes. university, we have, like, these, like, grad fest cards where students, like, put, like, a professor that was influential and significant. So I have, like, a whole bunch of these from my students, you know, saying that they were so glad that they took my class. They learned, they, ch they were challenged. They learned different things about the world. They're taking it back to, you know, their families, you know, about how, like, oh, hey, family, you told me all this stuff that was wrong about the world, you know. So I think it's working. I think it's probably, it's not happening, happening as fast as I would like. 
because I mean I don't know if I don't know about you you know Trey um, but I'm like one of the few people that teach these kinds of topics in our department mm-hmm. you know most of the other folks are really preparing our students for the the police and workforce you know police yeah. course yeah. corrections you know that they're yeah, learning yeah. like the tools that they need to you know do their job but that they don't have like this critical component where they're like okay you are you know this this vessel within this community you are serving you know you're doing all this you know let's stop killing black people you know so yeah. nobody yeah. Talk yeah. About, like those kinds of things so i think the the media has helped you know as i said you know soften that blow so you know i can we can have these conversations where it's not threatening in a way that it may have been like, you know, um, before. Awesome. That's, that's amazing. Um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to jump into our music break for this show. Um, this is kind of, this is exactly what I was hoping it would be when I just, when I decided this is what the, the show was going to be. This is, this is going to be one of the, the dopest shows that we, that we've had so far on Spawn Me by far. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. That's we're going to jump into our music joint, uh, for this week. This is episode 63 of the Spawn Me podcast. I'm hanging out with the doctors, uh, Trey Andrea Russworm and Dr. Kishana Leah Gray. We're going to come back in one second. We'll be back right after this. And Sharif. And that guy. <laughs> and Tanya. And Tanya. Podcast episode 63. That joint that you just heard is a classic joint. You know, when you have dope folks who are busting it out in academia and teaching the youths them, you have to bust out some dope tracks. 
we brought out the uh, leaders of the new school, Casey of the PTA, for this show. Uh, so if you don't know that track, you must be 13 years old. <laughs> and you probably shouldn't be listening to the show. You should be listening to the show because your parents are probably telling you to listen to the show because we love you all. Um, and what we've done this, this show is we are doing our Blackademics show. Uh, we have the doctors in the house. We have Dr. Kishana Leah Gray and Trey Andrea Russworm. I did it again. Ah, why'd I do that? Trey Russworm. Jeez. <laughs> no, Trey Andrea is fine. You know, so people say that so many different ways. Trey Andrea, Trey Andrea. My family says Trey Andrea. But any way you can string that together is cool. But the nickname is Trey. Nickname is Trey. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for the correction. I always botch that. Jeez Louise. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys for being with us. And uh, when we left off, we were talking a little bit about um, just the dynamics of, of of some of the being able to teach folks who might not necessarily be ready to be taught, if if that's the kind of way that, that we would kind of uh, talk about it. Um, and I think I think what we're probably going to do is we haven't had Tanya ask any questions yet, so we're gonna we're gonna let her get into some of the questions that she had. Whenever you're ready, whenever Tanya. Well, hi. Sorry that I was kind of quiet in that first half, but technology hates me, or rather Comcast hates me, <laughs> so I'm back. Um, but I've got a question, especially when it comes to you know gaming scholarship, is what games do you look to for teaching? And you know, like, are there criteria you look for in a game? Like, does there need to be a message? Is there certain like plot lines you're looking at? So what gets a game on your syllabus. Mm. If I can get um, a game that at least has people, I'd like, I kind of shy away from like the games that have like, like animals and like, you know, vague kind of characters. <laughs> but it ha- I need people. I need, I like games that have real people. And also if it has some kind of a storyline, um, I know I had a conversation with somebody, somebody was asked me the question, like, well, how do you teach people about, Using like the game, what a snake? You all, you all remember like oh, the yeah. game? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He said, "Well, yeah, so. they just assumed that I was like using games like that." They said, "Well, how can you use snake to teach people about racism?" I was like, "Well, I don't use snake because I can't use snake to teach people about racism." <laughs> so I really like, you know, I really like games that have like people in like a storyline, and that's broad. Like it doesn't have to be specific people. It doesn't have to be any particular storyline. I can make it happen. Uh, as long as I have those two elements. So I'm, it's broad for me. I can make it happen. We can learn something from really any kind of game. Um, so I, I kind of make it happen with, you know, with with what's there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as for me with game, games and teaching, I actually let the students pick the games. Um, oh, nice. So there's certain parameters that I'll have. And it'll be like the theme in my dystopian, you know, media class. It's like, well, it has to be a dystopian game. You know, we read theories of dystopias to even define and figure out what it is, what it means to be a dystopian game. So it has to meet that. And then there are other kind of research criteria, like whatever their research topic is, if it's race or if it's gender or if it's fan cultures or whatever, the game that they choose has to be um, relatable to that. So it has to give them some legs. So, you know, like this year, um, that, that that class they chose five different games that they played uh but it had they had to meet certain criteria so i let them choose the games because i feel um that they're more invested 
And um, I mean, it depends on the class. Some classes I will have my own, you know, set of games that we're examining. But as far as playing the games, I usually let them choose as long as it meets, you know, certain criteria. Um, and then sometimes I'm interested in like the for every semester it seemed that students were choosing portal which i know is a fan favorite you know people people like portal a lot i happen to not like puzzle games and i happen to find portal really annoying so i suffered uh, as my students enjoyed that suffered. They played that game. i suffered semester after semester for like three or four semesters in a row never <laughs> failed they chose portal and then finally i was like look guys this year portal is off the list no one can choose it i will not think about it i will not play it i don't care about shooting holes in the wall i just i i know it's cute in some way oh sharif is bringing out portal i'm like yeah i know i'm gonna get some some static on this but i am i don't like portal i can appreciate it intellectually which is why you know i suffered through thinking about it for four semesters in a row. Um, but as I tell my students, just because you don't personally enjoy a game, you know, doesn't mean you can't critically engage it. So um, I reached my limit with critical engagement with Portal um, after a while. But usually I don't veto games right off the bat. Um, I'll let them, you know, talk out why why they want to choose that game. And importantly, my classes are, are team-based classes. So the students are working together in teams of like five or six people. So they also have to come to a consensus on the game. And that's a lot harder than my own criteria. You know, what they as a, as a team decide to play, uh, they have to, you know, convince their peers that we should all play, that they should all play like Assassin's Creed Liberation, for example, which is one of the games that um, we play this semester i think it's interesting that um that you allow you know your students like to pick your game and it, and it reminds me of a question i don't think we covered it um but it was there on the list about how like a lot of our students are supposedly gaming and th- uh, they're from the gaming age and there's mm-hmm. the, there are these digital natives like from the gaming age what i found was that my students aren't that and, and i think that's probably part due to our service region mm. so we serve eastern kentucky here Appalachian region. You know, these kids are poor, and a lot of them haven't really been that exposed to a lot of technology, mm-hmm. a lot of computers. They don't have computers in their homes. You know, they didn't grow up with a lot of that stuff. So a lot of them had no idea. They didn't play games. Um, they may have played, like, you know, like some mobile-based kind of, like, games, but they, they yeah. hadn't really, like, gone beyond that. So I, I had it open at first, and then everybody was coming back, you know, everybody was trying to play with, like, Smash Brothers. I think that was, like, the last game that they ever played, like, when they were, like, kids or something like that. Um, So I had to, I had to start picking the games for them because a lot of them, Mm. aside from, like, a few guys, maybe some of the kids, you know, some of the students, like, on the football team or something that play Madden all the time, you know, there really weren't that many, like, students that um, had a, um, I, I guess, diverse enough experience, like, within gaming. Um, yeah. So that's awesome to hear that, you know, like, your students had those experiences. But my my kids are not from the yeah. game age, like, at all. At all. Well, and that's a, um, a sort of question about, you know, access, accessibility, mm-hmm. and class, you know, and, and just finances. Actually, to be a gaming scholar, you know, is um, it implies a certain amount of capital that you have access to because yep. you have to have the hardware, you, you need a PC, you need a gaming PC, you know, you need these different consoles, you got to have access to the games. And it right. is um, an erroneous assumption, you know, to, to assume that our students can also um, 
buy those things or have access to those things. So there's there's a real kind of question at the heart of this about you know accessibility and how to make this available. And I guess I don't know if Kishina wants you want to say more about your gaming lab, but if it is what I think it is or what I imagine it would hope for it to be, my dream of what I would love to have is a space that provides those tools, right, for Absolutely. all students who don't who don't identify as gamers, you know, who don't who, who've never played games, who are curious and want to approach this intellectually, you know, but don't have that hardware and that access to these to, you know tools to play the games. Um, so I don't know if you want to say more about that aspect of your. Absolutely. I think those are, and those are my most memorable moments, like within the lab, the students who say that I'm not a gamer, I've never played the game before, the students that have no idea what to do with the controller, you know, they're awkward with it, and yeah. teaching them and showing them, and like by the end of the semester, you know, they're pretty good, you know, like at these games, like, oh, that's that's, awesome. that's fulfilling, you know, that's like amazing, yeah. um, and I think my lab, you know, it serves, it serves, you know, several roles, you know, first off, it's an extension of the classroom, you know, there's, you know, mm -hmm. Part-time we're in the class, part-time, you know, we're in the lab. But also outside of class time, it's it's an open lab, you know, for students to, like, come in, mm -hmm. students that don't have access. One of the biggest things that it, it has done is allowed students a chance to preview games before they yes. actually, you know, buy them. You know, see, I think that's, you know, kind of kind of cool that, you know, because they can't just afford, you know, to yeah. go play these games. They're too expensive. Right, they right. So they they, they want to make sure that they're really investing in like like the the, the correct game. Um, so yeah. I think that's been the coolest part. Uh, it, like you said, giving these students the access that they that they don't have. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and I think that having the institutional support to do that work is key, right? Yeah. To be able to create that space, to staff the space or whatever has to happen. Um, all of that is key. And these are sort of unique challenges, I think, to teaching games than teaching other media. Like when I taught film, we would have a screening lab um, as a component of the class, but it was very relatively low overhead costs just to, you know, sort of play the films. Whereas here, again, you need a more permanent um, setup. It, Ideally, you would have students be able to go off hours and play because, you know, as, as many of us know, if you saw me on Spawn for Good playing um, Never Alone with my partner, it took us hours. You know, there were things that we were doing that the people watching were like, I think you just need to do this. It can take a while is what I'm trying to say right. to, 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 to find your way around these worlds and explore these worlds and um, to provide that space for students with off hour, an off hour schedule. You know, it's just a practical thing that I think, um, you know, you, you really need. You ideally want to be able to set up and create. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So um, speaking of games, so I know that you guys have talked a lot about, you know, the games that you have for your classes. So, you know, being, you know, approaching gaming from the academic sense, I would think that similar to a games journalist, you know, like you have games for your professional job so maybe you might not have the time to play games that you actually enjoy so my question is do you guys have those games that you go to at home like those go-to kind of relaxing games where like you're like i'm not playing this for my job i i just want to <laughs> chill and enjoy my hobby you know do do yeah. i do i you guys ha ha have those um well i you know i 
I go through these phases just because I'm at a really kind of kind of crucial moment in my career where I'm like, I don't have fun anymore. I know I study my hobbies. I know I write about my hobbies, but it's not fun, damn it. Um, like, I, I don't have that. It's a grind. It's grinding in a different way. Like, when I game, you know, I'm playing, and I'm, I'm usually writing about the games that I'm playing. Like, um, you know, for the chapter for Identity Matters, I wrote about The Walking Dead and The Last of Us. And there was a moment, you know, where I enjoyed those games, but once I, you know, work on it for, for research, those lines kind of blur and it becomes a different kind of project altogether. So um, I, I would say that in general, I used to. Summers used to be a moment where I would kind of catch up and I would read the comics just for pleasure that I wasn't teaching during the year and I would play the games for pleasure that I just wanted to play. But I would say lately, the last like two or three years, you know, Summers has just finished this book, finished that book, let's get a, you know, an article out. It's been kind of that. And um, gaming for pleasure hasn't really hasn't really been as much of a factor, unfortunately. Uh, I, recently, though, I do have a kind of meditative gaming experience that I always go back to where it's just like I'm fried and I'm burned out and I'll go I'll, I'll play the sims I'll just kind of like nice. there's something about the uh control lining up you know the go to the bathroom you know go to work <laughs> do something about the monotony yeah. of, of playing the sims I can sort of do that for like 30 minutes or an hour and you know just I don't even know that it's pleasure but it's there's something about it that's it's like watching it's like channel shirt surfing, you know, sort of watching, having the TV on and just kind of watching something to just decompress a little, um, but not really emotionally and kind of intellectually really being there. Um, so I'll play The Sims, but I wouldn't necessarily say I'm playing it for fun anymore. I'm just kind of playing it to kind of go through a system, to kind of be a part of a particular system for a moment. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. And it hasn't helped, at least with console gaming, that I'm really not excited personally about much that's on the horizon much that's out yet and so you know there's certainly games that i want to play and want to try but there's nothing that's kind of like grabbing me in this moment that i I can love and adore although i will say um the walking dead telltales the walking dead series even though i'm writing about it i do enjoy that game um it's complicated by you know kind of my reading of the game um but i have enjoyed it just because lee is a history professor he's a black male history professor and so to be a black academic you know and have a game where there's a black academic now you know he's a mass he's a murderer not a, not a mass murderer but you know he killed his his uh his wife's lover so that kind of sucks i don't know why he couldn't have just been coming from, <laughs> why couldn't he just been coming from class when the zombie apocalypse started just that one little detail I would have appreciated, but I understand why he had to sort of have this backstory, um, and I and I think about it a lot in my in my chapter on that. But but yeah, I enjoy that game because of of who Lee and Clem are, and the, the, the sort of risk with diversity that Telltale has taken. Um, but again, it sort of blurs that boundary of work and play. So I'm always kind of navigating that. But that's my sad story. I know you guys feel sad for me. <laughs> I'm impressed. That's the problem. By my Lee, own, Lee by was my own pleasures. I'm impressed by my own pleasures. Lee was being stopped and frisked. That's the reason why he couldn't. He wasn't coming from class. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh, that's Dude. a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of Sims locked in rooms with no doors. Because that's, a, that, that's how I played The Sims. 
No, I play The Sims in such a boring way. It's just like get up, you know, go to work, say hi to your children, you know, make money. <laughs> like I play The Sims in such a boring, not even an exciting, you know, death by drowning kind of way. People like to torture their Sims and stuff, do all kinds of crazy things. No, I just like, you know, pretty happy people. Just, just, just be pretty and happy. It's funny you say that because uh, when I play The Sims, I had a moment where like the college expansion came out. Yeah, so I was like, "This is too much like real life. This isn't yeah. fun anymore." <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. that you know what The Sims University in The Sims Three that university expansion, uh, whatever it is, I think it's it's college life, something like that. That is a yeah. horrible. It's actually this meta commentary on where education is today, <laughs> and when you compare that to The Sims Two, only Sims fans will kind of get this. I think <laughs> if you played it, The Sims Two University, which was like yep. party time, it was actually kind of fun to be in school in The Sims Two. Now you can like have all these credits before you go. You can kind of opt out. There's like nothing fun about the university experience in the current in the in The Sims Three. The Sims Four hasn't <laughs> come out with it yet, but it's actually i think this commentary on what the role that these higher institutions um higher educational institutions are playing in our society today the neoliberal university is what the sims 3's expansion pack is so i'm really curious uh, from an intellectual standpoint what the sims 4's university is going to look like because it's not going well actually you know it's not going well uh if it's (laughs) if it's this commentary on sort of life um the simulator the life simulator is not saying good things about where education is today uh in a meta sense so that part is um, but no it's not fun it's not fun so you know i'm an old school gamer i think we all are old school gamers so i'm thinking about all of the games that you know have been lost or might be lost if we don't get on this archiving thing mm-hmm. so from yeah. a, both as an academic and as just someone who likes to play games and see them thrive what what are your thoughts on you know archiving our history, you know from Pong to you know to whenever the PS five or six or whatever it is comes out, you know how important is that to you both as gamers and academics? Absolutely, it's very important. I had just watched that documentary. I don't know if you all watched it. It's the documentary about the ET game, the Atari. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Like I was so sad. I remember seeing that game. Like I was young. My brother didn't pass the controller at that time, but I remember seeing it. <laughs> and thinking about how stupid the game was. So I mean, I remembered that. But then it's been lost, like from this conversation. So I appreciated them. Like, going back and trying to revive this and tell, like, the real story about it and saying, you know, this didn't kill gaming, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it's very important that we make sure that we um, we begin to archive and, you know, really keep the, the history uh, al- alive. Um, I'm, and, again, that's going to, um, I guess it's going to reach a point where somebody has to decide, you know, what's, what what should we keep? What's what's important to keep? What what needs to be remembered? What needs to be thrown away? And then that of course that's going to be the story of the victor. That's going to be the story of the people in these privileged bodies that get to retell the story of like this is what we want to remember about the history of like games. And because those people get to tell the story, that's why you don't hear the story of the inner city kids playing video games. You know because they they're t- retelling the story. So I feel like that yeah we'll archive them. But it's not going to be told through the lens of how we played and how we interacted with games and, you know, what our stories were with with being in um, being in gaming culture. So we're going to have to make sure that we also archive like our own histories through Mm -hmm. these bodies 
um, through, through the marginalized lens of how we've always been on the periphery of gaming culture, but we've still maintained, we've resisted, we've always stayed apart, you know, within that. So, but again, like with the archiving of, you know, they're going to do it one day, but it's not going to be reflective at all of, you know, really our, our contributions, our history, yeah. the, the games that we've created, you know, are the black game developers, you know, those mm-hmm. stories just aren't, aren't really told, but I think it's important that that we do that, but we need to make sure that we are, us as gamers, us as people in the gaming industry, we need to make sure that we archive it appropriately, you know, so we tell yes. our own stories. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's the opportunity for a grant, uh, if I ever heard one, right? Like, really having a place, <laughs> word, word on ha- that. having a space to Academics are commercial. talking about money, man. I know, right? I'm get trying to get money. paid. If you can't get paid in terms of salary, get a grant. Just right. a grant. Uh, try to stretch it as much as you can because you know we're underpaid. You know we're underpaid. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely um, making sure that it's a not that it's not a privatized space. You know, there's sort of a not a commercial, not a privatized space, and not a fan space. Even though fans, you know, contribute a lot to these discussions for sure, um, it's still a private domain. When a sort of fan has this rich archive, this rich, you know, sort of storage area full of all these classic games, that's wonderful. But those games are not always going to be available for research, you know, for future work, for doing some of these other things. So having kind of nonprofit um, kind of angled an agenda to that archival project, I think is really important. But I would add to this is um, also our archiving of our present history of gaming right now too. Well, one of the things that I find really challenging, not just with games, but with new media in general, like the web series format, which I teach and um, study in some of my, in my, in my classes and write about is actually just finding this is also true with independent games is just knowing what exists where to go to find the games right having site spaces where these things are curated where you're like oh okay you know thematically here are games that are about you know the environment or about this or about that being able to kind of know where to go to find the kinds of games that interest you in this present moment and support those developers that are making them right that's actually really challenging you can't just go to steam and have everything there everything is not on steam and even steam is its own you know has its own sort of um, challenges with navigating and finding things or just you know psn you have to go to these different places but having a central location where it's like all the things all the games you know organized by this that and the other searchable you know with nice descriptions a project like that is something that we need currently just to be able to match the you know the game with the right audiences that would support that game and the people who want to research and think about that stuff so i think um not only our gaming history and archiving and keeping track of that but our our in our present moment knowing what's out there where to find it you know, and, and what it's about is is a is a challenge in studying these forms too. Cool. Project. <laughs> Another grant. See, I got I got, right. I got grant ideas for days. I just don't have the time to pursue them all. So I'm putting it out there. I'm just this is this is public service. Somebody write the grant. You can add me. You can add me as a co collaborator. Give me a footnote or something. I'll right. take it. I'll take it. But Look, we we need to have a meeting days. at WizCon, me, you, and Sharif, so we can do this academic thing. Because STEM, I've got a STEM degree. Um, but so this is just something I literally thought about as you were talking and and thinking about gaming space and who belongs, who doesn't belong. Because funny story, if Khalif has not already told this story, he actually thought like I taught classes about gaming and diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I would love to do, but I know I don't have the patience to be a teacher. But it makes me think about, you know, like, we're all involved in gaming in one way or another. How, how has your work kind of made you think about the gaming sphere and what work people are doing, what you're doing? And did you ever, or do you think that people are coming into it more as academics or as gamers or gamers turned academics? Because, you know, even a year ago, I would have never thought I'd be in this position of, of talking about diversity in gaming as a second job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I th- what's um I think um I guess as an anti-racist feminist I think it's really important <laughs> that we <laughs> that you know we talk about whose knowledge is valuable whose whose mm-hmm. knowledge you know has been like left out so mm-hmm. I I see the utility um in people everybody's you know experiences and different people can contribute you know to you know this this story of gaming you know that that we talk about. Just because I have a PhD in something doesn't make me an expert. You know, my experiences in gaming, you know, made me an expert in something. You know, my own personal experiences as a woman of color, you know, made me like an expert in that. Um, so, and, and again, like I, I too, you know, thought you were a professor because of how you talk about games. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, finding out that you weren't, that didn't diminish anything with me. You know, I still look to you for a lot of advice. I still, you know, follow, you know, everything that you do, you know, for the for the information and your contributions to to gaming. Um, so and, and also, I think um, even gamers, um, people, game developers, people in the gaming industry, you know, academics, I think everybody can contribute in their own way, you know, to kind of tell like this holistic story that, you know, we have about like gaming now. So we, we just because we have these degrees doesn't make anything just because I have this <coughs> game lab, you know, doesn't make make me like an expert or, you know, like the, the premier you know, in anything, we all experience games like from these different aspects, these different realms. Like what what you all did, you know, with that with the, um the raising awareness for Eric Garner, you know, using games for activism. That was cool mm-hmm. as hell. Like I'm presenting on that. It's nothing I did. I'm telling your story. I'm telling what you all did. I'm telling that contribution what you all did to this academic setting. I'm like, you know what? Look at what these cool brothers are doing. You know, within this space. You know these. You know um. So I think um, I think it's important that we recognize and acknowledge what everybody else is doing and tell these stories in these different spaces and settings. The fact that you invited me and Trey here, you know, as academics in this space, you know, we can share, you know, to your audience in your world, you know, the, the kinds of things that we do. So I think we just got to be res- responsive, respectful. You know, we just have to acknowledge, you know, different people like in these different fields and these, these different settings, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that this podcast is gaming scholarship. I mean, that's how I approach it. That's why I'm citing it, you know, all over the book. Because to me, it is scholarship, right? It is academic discourse. And one of the things we learn from fan studies, like people like Henry Jenkins um, and, um, you know, the book Textual Pultures, is is basically that there are these blurred lines between academics and fan cultures. And it's it's sort of a moot point, right? Like, everybody's sort of producing discourse and scholarship and you don't know, you know, one day or another, are you academic or are you a fan? Like it doesn't, it, the, those distinctions matter, do, do not matter at all. And all of the sort of rich, you know, things that, that people contribute who are, don't have the job title as an academic, right. you know, is really just a, um, a technicality. Right. And cool. so, so that, that's one of the things I think about. And then there are days when I think that, you know, um, the job, 
is its own thing. It has so many components to the job. Like being a professor has so many components to it um, where even though I'm at a research university, research is very important at a research university. There are other aspects of the job that get in the way of doing gaming scholarship, the do, doing the scholarship that I want to do. You know, I, I don't know if getting in the way is the is the um, most responsible way to describe that. <laughs> but, there, but it's just a factor. It's just a matter of time, right? You only have so much time in a given day and you do teach and you do, you know, grade and you do get committee work and you do the other aspects of the job that are not writing and are not, you know, doing the research on popular culture and games. And so that's just a fraction of it. But there are definitely days where I I'm like, man, why don't I have this as my full-time thing? Like the job, it has so many other challenging components to it that it takes away from. If you're in a groove and you're working on a project, you kind of want to be able to do that more often than not, right? Um, so so there, there are ways that the job, having to navigate the other aspects of the job can, can get in the way of doing that. Now, I, obviously, I know also for you guys, that is not to say that you don't have jobs, too, that are outside of doing this work. So you, you may have to negotiate some of the same things of, like, you're at your, you know, whatever the day, so-called day job or for-pay job or, you know, I, 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 I don't like Johnny Manziel. I would do the, the money sign, but I'm just not <laughs> going to do it. I'm just not going to allow myself to do it. Thank goodness. Um, but, you know, those kind of jobs that that – you know, they give you a certain kind of capital. We we all kind of have to do so. The the gaming stuff and the, and the um the other kinds of research really are just kind of you have to balance it. It's a sort of indelicate balancing act. You know, half of the time of like I want to be doing this, but this pays the bills. You know, and so I think that that's a way of thinking about being um, a professor. You know, who also studies and teaches games. There's things that pay the bills that are not about The Walking Dead and me trying to figure you know fig- figure that out. It just just not. Yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, basically almost all of us content creators face is, you know, um, I know my job is not within gaming in terms of what pays the bills, but my gaming videos and the stuff I do for Spawn on Me and stuff is stuff that I'm passionate about and could potentially turn into something that could be that full-time job. But at this point, you know, like when you're just starting a podcast or website or whatever, it is always that you know balance you know of like hey how much do i dedicate to this without sacrificing you know the thing that pays my rent you know so yeah yeah, it is it is most definitely something that i think a lot of content creators can like appreciate um now i i i had a question um about um you know just sort of uh uh blackademics um so there's been sort of this like long history of you know sort of um, public debate and stuff like uh, between academics and I guess you know that was kind of brought t- to the forefront of sort of I guess mainstream consciousness recently with the Michael Eric Dyson Cornell West stuff where this dude like was like yo I love you but I'm gonna write 10,000 words in the New Republic and uh, <laughs> take you down um, and you know it's it's like not something that like you know is like you know the first time obviously there's the Booker T and Dubois stuff and like uh, there's been stuff all throughout sort of the history mm-hmm. of academia um, so so like I was wondering how you guys um, deal with people that you know might disagree with you or might challenge like the credibility of gaming as a thing to study on the academic level mm-hmm. you know um, especially being inter- inter- interdisciplinary so like so, 
so like you talk with like with like English professors and like criminal justice and like all that stuff. So like, how do you deal with like people that kind of challenge like the credibility of uh, what you do? I think. Yeah. Um, go, my, go ahead. Go ahead, Trey. No, I was going to say. You know, I was thinking about that in two two different veins because one is like you know the Cornell West and the Michael Eric Dyson and the Booker T. Going back historically to Booker T. Washington and um, you know W. E. V. Du Bois and kind of the tradition of basically you know black people in conflict and 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 and. <laughs> and, and, and disagreement and sometimes you know that that gets ugly and sometimes it's it's, it's neat and clean and polite and, uh, and other times it's not um and and i would just say to to that part of it of, of the of the of the question um that you know i think one of the good things about that is you know not just that oh my gosh your twitter's blowing up what did what did he say like the hashtag ghost west what is that like <laughs> it's not just entertainment i guess is my my first reaction it's not just entertainment it's really showing um that you know again confirming that we're not, we're not a monolithic group that like you know we're 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 academics we're intellectuals we're we're you know scholars whatever but we don't ever agree we rarely agree on things that's a, that's another sort of you know constant fact across history is that there's going to be disagreement and quite often at times where there's high um you know sort of political stakes and social conflict at moments of crisis there quite often you'll see those those that conflict coming to the surface um so i just think that you know that to me just reminds us that we're not a monolithic community we shouldn't expect that and those that kind of discourse can be productive now for my own personal taste you know um i'm you know I, that's that's not my personality for the most part you know i'm, I'm much i'm much more measured and much more reserved for, for the most part when it comes to other people's work and and uh, engaging that it's not my it's not my agenda i'm not a public intellectual though if you want to pay me to be on msnbc if anybody's listening (laughs) convert i can convert i can dig deep inside me (laughs) and find those resources i want that to to happen so bad me too right i transform it up i'll do it you know pay off those student loans that's what i'm trying to say um but it's just not my personality to kind of go that path um, with the sort of West, you know, Dyson thing. Um, but then the second part, so I'll just stop there. And then I was thinking about the second part was kind of the credibility question. And so, like, do, do are you do I ever feel on blast, you know, as somebody who sort of studies and teaches these things? Um, and, and do I kind of have to navigate that? But I would I would I would pause there and 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 um, you know see what Kashana has to say about um, any aspect of this. Right. I think you bring up a good point, um, especially when you talk about how, you know, with, with the public intellectuals, I think even um, aside from, you know, like our, the people who are up here, you know, the, the public intellectuals, we're all more and more, um, um, uh, uh, we're not exempt from the public. Yeah. If yeah. we have like a social media what? presence too. Oh so yeah. Our, um, so we have to be mindful of what people are receiving from what we put out there. So I'm thinking about, you know, Professor Grundy there in Boston, you know, how, you know, she put something up on Twitter and then it's for the the masses like to see. So even, you know, even aside from the conversations that academics may have had with one another, we are engaging in more and more conversations like with the public um, that are even maybe under scrutiny as well. Whereas things such as like white privilege that has always been talked about where at least like since like the 80s, you know, 90s, they've they've been it's been talked about. Like when you reach the public realm, they're like, wait a minute. 
white yeah. privilege, what is this? The people who haven't been exposed to that, like in an academic setting, might think that this is something very inflammatory and very, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh my gosh, he hates white people, you know? So I think we, we have to be mindful of that, not to shy away from it, like at all. Right. Um, but we need to make mm-hmm. mindful that, you know, what 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 used to be private or what used to just be, you know, situated in academic settings is now public. Um, and that also brings me to to an, another point, whereas, you know, what you're looking at, like um, scholars and intellectuals um, there actually there is a process in which we we do critique and challenge one another. That's the peer review process. Whenever mm-hmm. we submit our work somewhere and then people uh, anonymously say yeah. crazy stuff. I don't know if you've ever received like a review, you know, <sighs> where people are just Lord. like going ham on your work. Like, <laughs> like it can get crazy. It can really get like yeah. Crazy. And you can kind of sometimes. I I knew who one of my reviewers were. <laughs> I talked right by how they were talking and what they were suggesting that I needed to incorporate. Yes, yes, so I'm going to yes. tell you, there is um, there is a huge, especially in gaming scholarship, um, the, the old feminist divide and debates have come to the to gaming. Um, so there are still some divides among, you know, white feminists, you know, feminists of color, third world feminists, you know, there, there are still, you know, these, these divisions among us, you know, so um, maybe at conferences, sometimes, you know, they, they peek their ugly head up, but there is still this, it's not, it may not be at the level of 10,000 words um, in the new Republic, but you know, the, those things like still happen, you know, even though it happens like in an anonymous space, but we still have those debates and it's more situated like around our work and our contributions, you know, to the field. Um, I, and again, just to say, I was, I couldn't read the whole thing. I was exhausted by, by the <laughs> second paragraph. So I, can't, so I, I will admit I have yeah. not even read the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and this is from, uh, Dr. Gray, who Front Page Mag has called a crazy social justice racist whose no. area of specialization is denouncing the white Asian supremacy in video games. So, Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, so my things that I write, and that's just my scholarship. You know, yeah, if they were yeah. to take a, a look at my Twitter, you know, or my Facebook post, they would go even more crazy. But, you know, I think, um, you know, the, the article that I shared with you all, you know, it's this right wing blog that kind of, you know, got upset that, you know, the government's funding some of the work that I'm associated with. And they yeah. just kind of went crazy. But we're a part, I have to accept, I have to be ready for that. And we have to yeah, accept yeah. that because that, that, that's a part of the job, too, now. Especially in this era, yeah, yeah. it's a part of it. Now, you mm-hmm. raise excellent mm-hmm. points there about being in the line of fire, you know, and, and what that means today um, when, you know, privacy has privacy has a completely different, you know, meaning there, you know, privacy is the disappearance of privacy in this moment, um, you know, really changes, um, whether or not we can say, you know, as I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a public intellectual, but yeah, you know, uh, everything is public. Most things are public, you know, these days. Um, so that's absolutely true. And when you have these sort of watchdog renegade uh, people and entities out there, wanting to find something you know in your work in your articles or in the books thank goodness books are slower and harder to kind of come out they have they haven't found me yet they, 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 they don't they haven't read that book. but it makes you very much a target right it makes you a target in a sort of different way and then you're at you're navigating that you know on top of the other things that you navigate in your daily life as a professor Absolutely. So um, yeah. not only we have to deal with the traditional and now the non-traditional as well. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's just one. It made me think of of something that happened to me recently on Twitter. Is that 
I follow a lot of people in the gaming sphere, and Tariq Musa follows me, and he talks a lot about you know like the way that people interact with him versus women. Mm. And so he shared his block list, and it was you know it was you know relatively small for the amount of bullshit we've been dealing with for the last ten months. And so I replied and said, well, you know, adding your list, I'm blocking over eighteen thousand people. Wow. Oh my god. And oh my he god. was just yeah. like, wow. yeah. You know, because there are many eggs. We could feed everybody and give everyone high cholesterol with the amount of eggs in my mentions <laughs> that I never see. That is a lot of omelets. A lot of omelets. Um, but he was just like, kind of like, oh, my God, that's so many. And I was like, dude, I'm a black woman on the Internet who talks right. about gaming. That's right. That's and right. he was like, yeah. well, you got me there. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just like, I can't. And, and not that I can't talk because I'm a loud mouth. I'm going to talk anyway. But there's always somebody waiting to go, no, you're wrong. Let me tell you how this is or mansplain you or gamersplain you. Yep, yep. yep right. And I'm and like, dude, I'm not even in the industry. I haven't made a game yet. I wrote one article. And if this is how you treat me after one article and the tweeting interactions I have with folks in the industry... Look, you know, like, what is wrong with you? Go find something to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, what was sad, especially around, you know, the whole Gamergate thing, is that a lot of people fail to recognize what black women, black queer women of color, what we had to go through at that time. Because people forget that not only were we having to endure Gamergate, we also were having to endure Mike Brown and the fallout from Ferguson. Yes, yes. So we were having all of these different conversations simultaneously. Where we, especially as gamers, we wanted to be a part of that conversation at Gamergate because of what was happening to our sisters, you know, who were being harassed and, and threatened. And we also wanted to be part of this, the discussion associated with Black Lives Matter as well. So I'm like, you know, mm -hmm. we, we have to deal with all of these things like at the same time. So that intersection of our lives you know, you can't even fathom what we have to go through. Um, and also to be ignored and to be, um, to continue to be invisible among our own people still. Right. right. To not be recognized still. Yeah. Um, and, and I always, I have to always tell people, especially with the, with the hashtag Black Lives Matter, was created by beautiful queer black women. They created that. Mm -hmm. And then they have to, and then we have to go and create something else to say, hey, black women matter. I'm like, no, that was created for all of us. Yeah. But we get excluded from this conversation, you know, so we have to con constantly fight for our identities. We have to say, well, you know, yeah. the Rakia Boyds matter. Brianna yeah. Wu matters. You know, we have to say, you know, all these things like within, within the, these conversations and people just don't understand the, the burden of it. Of having to just deal with it and talk with it, you know, academically and in public settings, it's it gets it gets tiring. And then they we still get critiqued. You know, we still get. I, I'm not even going to go down that road. <laughs> here, but no, I'm and and, we'll and it's intensified. It's intensified in an academic setting. I mean, you guys are talking about so many dimensions of this, and then you put it in the microcosm that is the academic world, and you have all of that happening too, right? You have, you know, when you're going up for promotion, you have people just tripping out and saying, "Is this real research or what is this? Did you really write a book on this?" You have you have those levels of it too, um, you know, which again are those sort of credibility, you know, questions and issues 
issues that come up, not accepting, um, you know, you this particular kind of subject as an authority figure or as an intellectual, right? So it's a constant, constant proving ground and trying to navigate that nexus of hypervisibility and invisibility at the same time. Absolutely. You know, what am I today? Am I hypervisible? Am I, you know, or am I, you know, invisible? You know, Absolutely. it's navigating that from one moment to the next. Absolutely. I, but. I, it's so crazy because I was going to just ask one more question, but now I have to ask another one because of the freaking <laughs> craziness that just got dropped on that. And I think, I guess the question I would ask right now, because we touched upon, you know, Gamergate a little bit in that conversation. The thing that I found super problematic and super troubling to me was not your shield. And that hashtag, dude, We're not, and, and, dude. And, and that can be a whole other show in and in, in amongst itself. <laughs> But yes. do we but, have to give that that much attention, though? No. Well, here's the thing. It was stupid. It was extremely stupid. And the only reason I bring it up and I want to broach it is because I felt to a certain extent and I would, would love to get your your opinions on this was it felt like these are the, the folks who jumped behind that tag felt that they were being the bastions of, 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 of you know, our progressive side to some extent. And it mm. never felt like the folks who were in that group ever really asked for anything of significance. And that was the thing that always kind of bugged me about it. It was like, hey, you know, we're having this discussion around the quote unquote ethics and all these other things. But you're not asking the people who are in these in these uh, positions of power and who are these gatekeepers to let any of us actually in the gate. You're just complaining about the gate being there. And right. a lot of that isn't, and those gates are there, but the conversation you're having about them weren't exactly the ones that we should have been having. I was just curious to, 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 to hear about some of your opinions about some of that mm. aspect of uh, all the things that happened during the past summer and if you, you, what you would kind of want to see. And then I'll ask the last question after that one. Oh Tanya, my God. Go yeah, Tanya, go ahead. <laughs> It's like they know. I wish you could see the look on my face right now. Um, so when you said about the gate, you know what I pictured in video game logic where the gate's standing there and there's no walls, but you stand there and kick the gate because you can't pick the lock? Mm. Interesting. You know, have you seen that collection of GIFs where it's like video game logic and I can't get through this door. It's locked. But then like half the wall is gone. You could just walk through. Absolutely. <laughs> That's... Yep. That that's what I pictured as you said that because not your shield was like the Republican attempt to get more black folks in the party by using stock images. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like I, I like I really wish you could see the look on my face, both the folks at home and, and y'all, because I have that look that kinda if you don't stop me in about two minutes, I'm gonna rant all night. <laughs> But it's it's ridiculous because that was their attempt at quote unquote diversity, which is some bullshit of the highest magnitude. Because it it was just like we're part of it too. Let us have our crumbs so we can be with the cool kids. Bullshit, and you know fuck everybody else. I swear a lot. I'm sorry. It's too late. We know. <laughs> we know. Well, I just well, it's just like it was just so ridiculous. Of look, we want to be in the party too. And nobody was worried about y'all. So, so you want to wave your flag and go, look, there's black folks in Gamergate, too. I give not no fucks about the black folks that want to raise their flag with them. That's your problem. Right. For me, that's like a whole like bucket of issues, and we can have that discussion in another episode. Absolutely. But again, it's the video game logic of everybody's on the other side of that gate laughing at you because you could just walk around where there's no fence. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I feel you on that. Trey? Well, I mean, I'm kind of thinking about this, and I haven't really well, I haven't fully formed what I want to say about Gamergate, but, and, and, and even something like Not Your Shield. And that is really just my simple resp- response to this, but the, there's a more elaborate response, but I'm not going to give it because it's the end of the show. Uh, but I think my instincts are that. I really want to decentralize Gamergate in these conversations um, because I think there's some very many sort of problematic threads. It's not just, you know, who started Gamergate and how the sort of origin stories of Gamergate. It's not just that territory that's problematic. It's also kind of like who's in the media eye or who's sort of what, who the victims of Gamergate seem to be and sort of like are who, who's sort of who, who's promote who's who's um, who's seen as the victims of Gamergate? I think actually there's, there's a lot of sort of critical work to do around that too, um, and so I'm not really sure. So I would love to sort of decentralize that um, and not have it be such a dominant part of this moment, right? That there's something kind of sticky mm-hmm. about both all, all sides of it. Right to me, um, and so I'm, I'm I'm more kind of along those lines these days. Of you know, Gamergate can we can we can learn a lot from sort of talking through and thinking about Gamergate. But I think one space that we haven't really investigated as much is sort of like this the, the image of who's bullied and who's harassed and who is not you know harassed and who's bullied. Right, like if there's sort of a black woman, a queer black woman at the center of Gamergate you know, in, the, in the origin story do we have the same conversations and so um, I don't think so but you know and sort of why that is I think is a more kind of a interesting point of conversation now to me about it but you know those are my thoughts no 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 that was, that was, that was perfect uh, Kishana um, I had an unpopular stance uh, on Gamergate, and my friends in the gaming community let me know that it wasn't popular. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, I didn't agree with how distinct we were making the Gamergate pheno- phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Gaming culture created Gamergate. Yeah, like right. all of a sudden we tried to act like, like, oh, we care about women. Oh, women are valuable here. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case. That wasn't true. Gamergate was only only came to fruition. It was only given life because gaming culture had not fully included women as full participants in other marginalized bodies. Um, so I, I was disgusted that people all of a sudden were trying to distance themselves like from Gamergate to, oh, we stand in solidarity with women. I'm like, but when have you done that before? You had never done that before. So and again, that wasn't that wasn't a popular <coughs> stance. Well, I was like, you know what? Gamergate is y'all. Y'all are part of that, whether or not you use the hashtag or not. But the fact that you haven't done anything meaningful about the harassment, about these, you know, skewed and stereotypical representations of women within these games. Y'all, y'all were in control of that game developers. Y'all could have done something about that, but you haven't. And so now all of a sudden you want to be on this side of history. Now the Gamergate is, has risen to national attention. Um, I was mad. I was pissed at them because all of a sudden they were trying to be seen on the side of a social justice warriors. Like, oh, we're with you, women. Where the fuck were you when we were getting women <laughs> like all, all these all these years? Yeah. yeah. So I I didn't I didn't appreciate that, and of course you know nobody wanted me to talk about it again. So. 
Well, yeah, it's, well, it's who's visible and who's not visible in these conversations that we keep having about Gamergate. And so, yeah, I just kind of have a fatigue around that. And I'm always kind of curious about what becomes the dominant story, what becomes the sort of meta story of this. And uh, really kind of destabilizing that if we can. Yeah, and, and I appreciate it. And, and I am, to a certain extent, even though I broached the, broached the question, I, I, I am tired of that story and does, don't really think it deserves much more air. But I wanted to see if there were some mm-hmm. quote-unquote yeah. teachable, teachable moments in there that, that, that people can find and, and kind of parse out. But we're going to move on from that and ask the last question of the night. Um, I really don't want this episode to end ever. I want this to keep going in fucking keep perpetuity. Going, keep recording. Let's just take naps and keep it going. Let's oh just God. record us snoring. This is one of the best episodes <laughs> of all time. Sweet baby Jesus. Um, if, so, so if you had your druthers, if you were all game designers, if you were both game designers, we we talk about a lot about all the parts of gaming that we that we would love to see change. We want to see more of our faces and more of our genders and more of our our our, our orientations reflected in the games that we play. What if there if there was one game that you could make? If there was a story that you could tell, what would be that story that you would want to share with the gaming world that that you feel is not being shared? Wow. Well, as far as I know, there hasn't been a queer black gaming heroine ever in the history of anything. And we only have like one in the narrative game context, as far as I know, one um, black woman heroine, period, in, you know, Aveline from um, Assassin's Creed Liberation. Um, But I would like a present day narrative. And, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want her to be a sidekick. I want her to be me, basically. Damn it. I'm narcissistic. (laughs) I want to see that. I haven't seen it before. You know, I want to see, um, yes, people are sort of saying, what, what about, what about, um, Nillin and Remember Me? Um, but no, I want to, I want a queer black, you know, I don't care what the story is necessarily, more of an, in a realist vein, uh, that be bold and, you know, and, and she doesn't have to be from Compton, you know, she can be from Compton, but she doesn't have to be from Compton. Um, I really want like an art film. Um, and by art film, I don't necessarily mean like experimental film, but I want like an independent film kind of type of drama, um, that, you know, maybe aesthetically blends uh, what Telltale has done with with comics, that sort of cell shaded uh, visual aesthetic um, and that sort of narrative kind of driven. I would love that kind of style. Um, and there's a comic now called Genius out there, which actually she is from Compton. I think she is <laughs> Compton, but uh, but she's but she's she's you know she's a black woman character at the center. I just want stories about that, right? And I, uh, about that kind of subjectivity. And it would be great to uh collaborate write you know because i cannot code not really but i'm i'm learning i'm going to digital humanities summer institute so my little i'm probably gonna have a little tiny bit of an introduction to some some very rudimentary uh coding but i can write so you know i would love to kind of help write that story and, and imagine what that character would look like in in an interactive medium that would be awesome I hadn't, um, this was one of the questions that was toughest for me to even think about, um, because of course, you know, we want more diverse representations, more accurate, you know, um, depictions of, you know, marginalized folks. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm also realistic, you know, I'm like, you know, so what would I like for, um, the current state of gaming to do better? One thing that I would like for them to do better is that, um, you know, some of our more progressive representations of, like, I guess, black characters are in, like, these, like, a, 
post-apocalyptic like kind of stories and like yes. these narratives so in an, in a time when nothing else matters i'm like we're fighting for our survival then all of a sudden you've got a black person doing something meaningful you know having like this meaningful character but at that at that point who gives a fuck about your race or your gender we're trying to survive <laughs> as human beings on the planet so i would like to see some of those more cool cool you know stories those cool representations in some of the other you know genres as well you know depict some show somebody from a hard living you know neighborhood that's not this gangster or something you know show show those different narratives you know within within those games so you all yeah. are more hopeful than than i am i don't see it happening any any time soon not unless we create it so Trey, go on and learn coding because the only way we're gonna get it, the only yeah. way that we're gonna get these representations is if we we create we have to create them ourselves. And I I am done with school. Other than you know I'm 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 done. You know I think that in order to, uh, to you know do the kind of games that I would want to do because I'm like triple A you know kind of fan yeah. and aspirations. Um, I would have to kind of start over. Like I'm actually you know not interested in in another sort of into intellectual educational. AKA student loan journey um, <laughs> to learn how to do that. But I can teach, and that's what I tell my students. I can teach the, the people who are going to be doing that in the future and give them some of the critical lenses to make those kind of games. Yeah. And especially even dystopian games, which actually are about hope. You know, that's that's what that's what, that's what I argue in my in my chapter. Um, that dystopian narratives are really important theoretically because of how they're envisioning the, the potential future. Unfortunately for black people, it doesn't go well usually for you, for us. <laughs> in those, in those, I'm like for you guys it doesn't go well well for my black queer heroine in a dystopian apocalyptic setting she's gonna be all right but for all the other black characters no no no, no you're not gonna make it but in, gen- in general those dystopian narratives are do do claim an element of hope if you, if you think about it um but not for the black characters so that i, I want to correct that and teach the students who are going to be making those you know they're young they're 21 you know 20 years old go ahead and make those games here's the games that you you guys can you know think about making and here's here's some tools to get there but you know as for me it's a wrap on that i'll teach i'll read play and teach so so before before we get up out of here in this amazing ridiculously amazing episode i just want to say look out on steam Greenlight for a student loan journey uh, coming to a pc mac and linux near you um, I'm down. But but what I want to say really quickly is first of all, wow. This is this is everything that I hoped and imagined and dreamed that it would be in an episode when I when I broached the the conversation or or the topic in my head of saying I'm hoping to have some amazingly brilliant sisters on with us to talk about their experiences and talk about how gaming has both changed their changed the way that they are teaching the youth and te- teaching the kind of the, the, the people who are going to be running this world and how they're going to be doing it through games. This is an amazing, an amazing episode that I hope that you are all uh, going to enjoy for a long time to go, a long time to come. Because I think this could be a thing that we do again really, really soon. We could make this a panel somewhere and go Absolutely. talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, hey. So, so I really. agree with that. Word. Get a grant. Get a grant. Get a grant. <laughs> Get a grant. <laughs> Travel grants. Yeah. Right. So so before we go, I, I just want to give you both the chance to kind of plug your stuff again and tell folks where they can find your work. 
Um, that way that when people, after they hear this, they'll be like, yo, that was the dopest joint ever. How do I get more information? They'll be able to know. So, uh, Key, I'll let you go first, and, and, then we'll, and then we'll finish up with Trey. All right, I'll give you the drop. Keyshawna Gray, you can hit me up on my website, www.keyshawnagray, K-I-S-H-O-N-N-A-G-R-A-Y.com. Follow me on Twitter, anything that I'm doing, recent things, recent blogs, um, recent uh, uh, taking down trolls on Twitter. You can follow me there. (laughs) (laughs) I got a lot of them. So at D-R-G-R-A-Y-T-H-A-P-H-X, Dr. Gray the Phoenix. That's actually Jean Gray. A lot of people assume that that's because of my time in Arizona. It's not that Phoenix. It's Jean Gray the Phoenix, one of my favorite uh, characters, actually. Um, so, but again, you know, just follow me. You know, I try to keep those things kind of updated um, to let folks know, you know, what I'm doing, what I'm engaged in. Um, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Trey? Yeah, I'm Trey Andrea Russworm, and I'm on Twitter at Professor TMR. And uh, I didn't mention that you can actually get my Afro Samurai uh, chapter in a book called Game on Hollywood. And it is about the connection between uh, games and other media. And so I have a a chapter in that book, um, which is already out. That is one of the books that is out. um, And that is called Game on Hollywood. And I wrote on Afro Samurai, another dystopian text, because I've been thinking about these dystopian worlds for a while. Absolutely. Afro Samurai. We'll share. Word, word, word. I would say, Reef, let folks know where they can find your work and in, in, in all things that you're doing. Sure. Uh, so you can find my stuff at sharifjackson.com. Uh, that'll link you to my science blog um, and my video game YouTube series on diversity in gaming as well, which you can also find at gaminglooksgood.com. Um, and yeah, just like at Sharif Jackson on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that stuff. Um, and if you want to check out the podcast, uh, that I co-host with J.P. Fairfield on being a uh, geek of color in the corporate world. Um, check out OperationCubicle.net. Awesome. And Tanya, can you wrap it up, please? Sure. So you can find my personal Twitter at Cypher of Tear. That's C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. And uh, my WordPress is CypherTear.wordpress.com. And as you know, I'm behind I Need Diverse Games, which is I Need D-I-V-G-M-S for Twitter and I Need D-I-V-G-M-S.info for our website. Thanks to a very generous follower who donated some uh, domain space to us. And things that I'm doing next week is WizCon. And I will actually have Sharif oh, yeah. Jackson with me on a panel for I Why I Need Diverse Games. <laughs> It's okay. Um, so not only do I have Sharif joining me, but Ajit George, Renee Ishmael, and Catherine Cross, and oh, wow. Autumn Nicole Bradley. Um, so I'm really excited for that panel. And then I am working on a very secret project along with the fine ladies and Not Your Mama's Gamer. And I am doing the Mr. Burns steepling my fingers, even though none of you can see me. Excellent. <laughs> yes. You know Kermit flail gift. That's how I was like in real life for a couple days <laughs> because we had the most amazing chat. So more info on that is going to come toward the end of the month. But I just want to like leave y'all in suspense because now I want people to listen to and go, what are you talking about? I want to know. That you mm. can't. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So I just want to give the social media business really quick. 
Um, if you want to follow the show, you can go and do that at Spawn on me, at Spawn Point Blog, at Kajakins. That's my stuff. Uh, at Stubby Stan is Stubby Stan. It's Cicero Holmes, the, the man, the myth, the legend, the fumbler and stumbler of words. Uh, you can check out Dan the Robot at Dan the Robot. Um, you can check us out. Um, at esn.fm uh, slash spawn on me. You can check out esn.fm slash spawn on me slash 63 for show notes for this show. Um, you can also check out uh, our equipment uh, fund at tinyurl.com slash SOM future. We really need help with that. Uh, the, the more that you can help with that, the better. Make us future proof so that we can continue to do dope, amazing shows like this one. Um, and I think that's it. I can't think of other things off the top of my head because I usually don't do the social media business. But I just want to round out and say really quickly, thank you to everyone that showed up tonight. You guys are amazing. I am so like I've been more quiet this show because there's been so much dopeness dropped in one episode <laughs> that I was just like dumbfounded sitting here in the back. Um, so, again, Trey, Key, thank you so much. Tanya, thank you so much. Reef, thank you for being here. Uh, Absolutely. This, this is our Black Academics cast. Oh, my God. I can't wait till we do this again. <laughs> it's going to be so dope. Uh, episode 63 of the Spawn Me podcast. Again, we all thank you for listening every week, and especially this week. We will say peace. Peace out.